0: Steve Spurrier, he would make his coaches go home. He would make his coaches work out. Um, And one of the things that he said is, you know, I, I can't have tired coaches on game day. I can't see you dragging in here on a Saturday to coach an SEC game. You know, we have to bring our best energy for our players
1: right 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Outway,
2: John elway Daisy, right, soy. Blitz, right, Travolta, right, Pumpkin, left, Alert, Charlotte, left, on one. Punch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors, cannon
0: to 300 jet f stick.
2: Victory is a great play call.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Play Callers Club. We're fired up to have you here. Thank you so much to all the coaches and educated fans so far who have been chiming in, giving us ratings, reviews, sharing the podcast. It's really helped us grow, you know, way faster than we thought we were going to. These first uh, 10 episodes and we just really appreciate all the support, all the all the messages, all the ratings, reviews, everything. Comments. It's it's like like we said, it means the world to us. We love having these conversations every week and want to continue to grow the podcast and continue to reach those uh, coaches and educated fans that want to have high-level conversations about football. And we really do invite you guys to join in the conversation. And we are on the doorstep of training camp here for, uh, for us heading into fall camp with Episcopal high school here in Houston, Texas. So we do feel like it's Christmas Eve, man. We're like, we're right there. We can't wait to get rolling. We know some NFL teams are already in camp and some college teams are about to, about to hit it hard. So it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year, I think we can all agree. And uh, we just wanted to give you some of our thoughts heading into camp, specifically from us, but also kind of as the, the football world is all, is all right here, um, ready to roll. So, Rashad, I guess you can, you can get us started. You're heading into year two at Episcopal, passing game coordinator, receivers coach. What are you most looking forward to in camp this year?
1: Looking forward to just seeing our growth from the spring uh, extend into the summer. Uh, I remember when I was, when I was a young, a young guy, a little guy uh, in middle school, going to a camp up in Ruckers. Uh, one of the coaches said, really cool quote that kind of stuck with me. Now, even as a coach, he said, uh, "The seeds, the seeds of a championship are planted in the summer, hmm. and they're harvested in yeah. the fall." So, I was like, "Man, what does that even mean?" But <laughs> as I, as I grew up, I learned that you know, putting that work in, you know, in the spring, in the summer, lifting the weights, doing the sprints, uh, doing the game planning. And understanding your playbook, right? As a, as a player, would we'll definitely um, be able to kind of, kind of, kind of reach that harvest in the fall. So we're really looking forward to our receivers and just as our team as a whole. Just for my from year one to year two, growing. I feel like Dan, I feel like you and I are really, really grew our relationship over the past year. So we spent a lot of time this offseason, kind of just getting ready for this for our team. Um, looking forward to just. Making it, making it some noise, you know. Um the overall just being back with our guys, right? Um the way things ended for us last year didn't did not go as planned with us losing our championship. So our goal was just to run it back and be on this revenge tour and just make things happen. So uh yeah, that's 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 the that's the vision for me when it comes to looking forward to being back in camp and you know, my favorite football sound is just hearing cleats on the concrete and just hearing that oh, yeah. and uh smelling the grass. That's like my. I'm like that. My weird football guy things that I like. Um, That's when I know it's football season. So, uh, Jake, when do you know it's football season? Like, when is it? When is the light switch for you for football season?
2: I don't know. It's weird. Uh, This transition. I've been um, into like the corporate world now, not so much in the in the coaching world. Um, You know, growing up playing football my entire life, playing all the way through college, then getting into coaching. It's like everything happens so fast. You've got spring, I mean, it's like once the season ends, it feels like a short time before spring football gets kicked off, and then you've got your summer, which kind of flies by, and then there's fall camp. Well, you know, being outside of it now, it's like you feel like, like it used to feel like you never got a break. Now it feels like that break is so long because it's from the Super Bowl until basically this time you feel like you're almost without football. You know, there's always – otas and spring football and all that kind of stuff but you're not so much taking a part of that anymore so you feel like just any kind of football that you can get is is special and so that's what's been so fun about this i think the past couple weeks is being able to dive in you know a little bit earlier than normal um and kind of provide you know hopefully an avenue for people so far um to get some of that football content a little earlier than they do and just for us to be able to experience it. And so, I mean, for me, it used to just always be that first morning, right? It's like, like, like Dan said, it's kind of like Christmas Eve, but you know, you kind of got those jitters going into it. But then that first morning you wake up, I mean, who really sleeps all the way until their alarm that first morning? Nobody, I don't think ever really does. And then as a coach, I remember it's just, you know, trying to get guys fired up. And as a player, you're just, you know, you're excited to be out there. You're nervous to be out there. There's so much anticipation of, you know, what's to come. It, you know, it's all still out in front of you at that time. It's, you know, whether, no matter how good or how bad you were the year before, there's still just, like, so much out ahead of you. You can be, you know, as good as you possibly want to be. But at the same time, like you said, it really comes back to, you know, what what you've done all the way up since the – end of the previous season so it's it's truly an amazing sport um i think it really you start to see everybody kind of come together this time of the year. debates you know flying all over the place what kind of what you're gonna get i think that's just the beauty of it and the fun of it oh yeah no doubt yeah. about
0: it man i mean it's it is it's the best i, I think there's a lot yeah. i missed from being a player. Uh, like Jake was saying that anticipation, a lot of times, you know, especially in college, it's like you're taking a conditioning test and rolling into camp and you're getting, you know, you're weighing in and you're trying to show off your progress that you made over the summer in, in conditioning and in the weight room and really hoping to take that next step as a player. And then as a coach, I think one of the things that I've noticed, you know, particularly this season getting to work with, our group, it's technically year three for me, but it kind of feels like year two just with coming on such short notice in year one um, is is we really have an opportunity to put systems in place and all that work that we put in throughout the spring and the summer from a coaching standpoint, it's kind of like when you start to see the fruit of that, Uh, did, did we prepare the right way? Did we create the right systems for our team? Uh, Did we study the right, did we study the right offenses in the offseason to give us an edge? Did we make the corrections we needed to make? And I think, you know, it really stood out to me. I actually posted it on Twitter, uh, recently, uh, I was listening to Ben Johnson, Detroit lions, offensive coordinator, and he was talking about year two in an offense. And it really resonated with me because he said, you know, in, in year two, you're not so much trying to teach guys the base concepts anymore. Now you're really able to focus in on the problem solving. You're able to see what kind of problems the defense is going to present to your base looks, or even your maybe more complicated looks, and then you're working solutions for it. And so that's, that's kind of how I think of this, this fall camp period for coaches is on one hand, you have this kind of undying hope of all the potential that you see and what your team could be. And then pretty much halfway through day one, you get hit in the mouth with all right, back to problem solving, like, coaching is problem solving like that's what it is it's problem solving for your athletes and so i think that's it, it it's the hope mixed with immediately having to be on your toes and problem solve and it's what makes it the greatest sport ever so i'm i'm fired up to be back that's for sure
2: yeah i think i mean kind of bouncing off your problem solving just i mean even with nfl camps kicking off i mean you're already seeing you know, injuries and stuff like that happen. And it's like, I mean, you talk about a guy like Joe Burrow. I mean, talk about problem solving. Like, is there a solution even for, when you? I mean, um, hopefully he's totally fine. I mean, I think any NFL fan, nobody, I mean, I don't care if you're a Ravens, Browns or Steelers fan. I don't think anybody wants to see a guy like Joe Burrow go down already. I think that's the kind of guy you want to see healthy and at the top of his game. Um, but just crazy how, how quick, you know, things can change. And as a coach, I mean, the last thing that you would possibly plan on, it's like, okay, well, we got to, you know, we got to get our next guy ready. And then, you know, hopefully we've got him back. So just wild how, like you said, it. I don't think it's day one for them, but I think day two or three that he's been out there and hits you in the mouth just like that.
1: Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw those uh, tweets earlier today in regards to him being injured and it... it Whatever it could have been right, whether it's a calf or Achilles, but it seems like the team doctors are saying calf is what we're hearing right now. Um, my first thought was is Trevor Simeon their backup quarterback? I remember you know <laughs> a few episodes ago I did a breakdown of the Bengals and I was like I don't I couldn't imagine Trevor Simeon operating empty. You know I know he has
2: <laughs> is Brandon is Brandon Allen still there?
1: Uh, ba I remember seeing Trevor on a on a roster. Okay. I can check, but I, I don't know Brandon
2: know if... Allen. Um, Brandon, Brandon Mark, yeah, he's he, been yeah, there he, for a while. Yeah, but. he
1: was he cause he came in, he came to a game like two years. The the first time they beat the Chiefs, he came in in that mm-hmm. game when Jamar Chase had like two hundred, like two hundred fifty yards receiving from the crazy like yep. that. But my my first thought was, man, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl dreams are down to drain. You know, week one of training camp before even the first pre- preseason training camp uh, practice. I mean, before even before the first preseason training camp uh, game. I mean, essentially so. My thought was as a coach, what do you do in that situation, right? Do you as a, as an organization NFL team, do you try to make a trade and try to find a better a mid level starter? Do you try to roll with your backup? Like what do you do? So I could do that question to both of you guys, like your NFL team, your NFL coach and your best and your quarterback who's your franchise goes down, what's the next steps? Do you change your offense? Do you get different players? What's the focus? And yeah, either of you guys could answer Well, I mean, I I think back to when you previewed the Bengals and
0: we talked about Joe Burrow. We talked about kind of what kind of special group of receivers they have. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, you know, just unbelievable talent out there. Obviously the running back, Joe Mixon as well. But I think this is where it's so crucial, particularly at the NFL level, that a play caller is able to adjust to personnel. Because Zach Taylor came from... I believe came from kind of the McVeigh group of coaches and was thrown into a Cincinnati system. And and really Joe Burrow was best operating out of the gun and, and him really just letting it rip. And so do you think that Zach Taylor will kind of move back towards some of that more under center wide zone play action? Or is it too late? Are they are they built differently at this point? You know, you you wonder because you have to make life as friendly as possible for that quarterback. And Joe Burrow, I think his mixture of an ability to get the ball on the edge quickly, quick release, escape, pressure, I mean, all the things that he can do, I just don't think you can replicate that. And so you probably are looking at a different offensive system. Maybe no, The terminology is not different, but the focus is probably a lot, a lot different.
2: Yeah, I think it depends a lot, too, on, you know, the severity of the injury. If you're talking about him being out the entire season, which I I think from what we've seen, that's not going to be the case. But if he was out the entire season, it's like, OK, we've got enough time to go bring, you know, a veteran or, a you know, talented backup in that, you know, could push for the starting job or I think what it's going to the case is going to be, I mean, Hopefully he's back for game one. But even if he's out for the first four games, I mean, you saw it with the Cowboys last year, right? It's right. Okay, we trust our guy that's been in our system to get us. You know, whether we go one and three, two and two, three and one, four and zero, oh, we're just you know we're gonna ride with that guy. What we have now, figure it out, and then you know when our guy's back in the building, that's when we're gonna roll. So it's, I think it definitely has to do with how severe the injury is and how, you know, long you're gonna have to deal with it. But I. From what it seems, it's going to be hopefully a pretty short-term deal and something they can kind of manage right now. Yeah, it was definitely definitely scary to see. And I mean, I'm
1: not a Bengals fan by any stretch of the imagination, but couldn't couldn't imagine seeing that tweet of my our best player who led us to a Super Bowl and AFC Championship yeah, game. Non, yeah,
2: non-contact not, not <laughs> injuries—the ones you want to see. No, yeah, not at all. Not at all.
0: Well, it's interesting too. I spent a little bit of time with. Uh, uh, a pro coach in the off season. And one of the questions that I asked, you know, out of my own ignorance was, you know, why aren't teams doing more, you know, wildcat stuff or drafting kind of a more dual threat quarterback and trying some different things uh, if the main guy goes down or if they have an issue or something like that. And he, he made the point, which I thought was an interesting point point, just the way these guys and particularly in the NFL think is He was like, you know, you can maybe get away with that the first run through a division, but you're playing teams twice. So once they see it, they're going to gobble up anything kind of gimmicky the second time. And so it was just an interesting way to kind of frame that conversation. I think in college, when you're playing everybody once, maybe that gimmick stuff, and, and again, not that it's unsound, but just, you know, a little bit out of the norm, it may work a little bit better when you only see teams once and they have to kind of prepare for you on that off week or something like that but when you're in the nfl and you're running through a division twice it's a lot more difficult to kind of maintain that level of surprise i guess you could say and then the other point he made was you know the the kind of shots that these quarterbacks are taking if they are going to run the football you can't hold up for 17 games like there's just no way so i think if anything you know if you're gonna plan for a four-game stretch, you could maybe get away with some of that stuff. But if you have to plan for anything much further than a than a four-game stretch, uh, you know you're probably better off trying to trying to continue to run some of your base offense.
2: Yeah, I think too. Like, I think back maybe eight, ten years ago, the gimmicky stuff with when you had more of your true like pro style, you know, Tom Brady's, Peyton Manning's of the world, and then you throw in. You know, a Tim Tebow or whatever. You know, you can kind of hit them with, you know, that different look, and their defenses just weren't used to seeing it as much. But I think, right. you know, defenses have seen so many dual threat and you know zone read type quarterback now that they they know the rules. They know it's you know it might be something that they've it's an adjustment. You know, it's not a full game or games that it takes adjusting to. It's literally from series to series. Like, they can right, go, exactly. okay, we this went wrong. We can get on the sidelines. We can fix it. Now, it might be a little bit different when you're talking about maybe a college or high school level. It's harder to make those adjustments just because you're not in the building as much. You can't walk over and go look at an iPad. So, I mean, a little bit different when you're talking about, like, high school level. Yeah, it is good to have, you know, maybe a gimmicky type quarterback, you know, to balance out, you know, your true passer or whatever type guy you have because you can catch teams off guard and they don't have as many resources to be prepared for that. So, and you might play against a team that, you know, their kids don't adjust as well to it. So it's, I think it is, I think it's just kind of the level that you're at that you can kind of see, you know, it being a little more beneficial than others.
0: Yeah for sure. One thing I wanted to hit on with you guys a little bit, as we head into camp, obviously we know with the amount of investment that 99.9% of coaches have in their teams, you head into camp, football can be very much an all-consuming type deal. I mean, everybody is all in. They're focused. They're locked in. And, you know, the hours stack up for sure. And uh, a a couple days ago, uh, I put something out as a quote from Bruce Arians, and it's kind of a famous quote now uh, from his his episode of uh, uh, no, not America's game, uh, a football life, from NFL Network, NFL Films. And Bruce Arians said, you know, when I hear about guys sleeping in their office, I wonder why, why the hell what the hell they're doing there, because uh, the game ain't that hard, he says. He says the work will always be there. Your kids won't. I tell my coaches, if you miss a recital or a Little League game, I'll fire you. And it was kind of, you know, everybody kind of gets a chuckle out of it. Bruce Arian's a funny guy. He's got a way about him that I think everybody appreciates. But after I put that out, you know, it kind of went a little bit more, uh, it got a little bit bigger than I thought it was going to get. I think there's a lot of interesting opinions out there. But I have a a friend of mine who actually uh, was one of my professors in uh, seminary. And he he is married to Clyde Christensen's daughter, um, so he knows this kind of firsthand. And Clyde's obviously a you know quarterback coach was Tom Brady's quarterback coach in Tampa, phenomenal human being, amazing person, great family. And he made the point that well, this is Chris, my friend, reached out and said, you know, I can attest to this firsthand. Like Bruce Arians was about family. And he said, my family benefited immensely from my father-in-law working for Bruce Arians. And it was just a cool, like, it was a cool little anecdote and, uh, you know, confirmation that sometimes I think coaches will say things, but in, in practice, maybe not actually carry them out. So it was cool to hear kind of a firsthand account that yeah, that was who Bruce Arians was. But I would be interested to hear what you guys, Jake and Rashad, have to say about Kind of this mentality and how to balance out being present with your family while also trying to compete and be the best you can as a football coach
1: oh yeah uh super important to put the family first i mean you have to right uh you know as a as a parent you always hear that the the days are long but the years are short <laughs> and having yeah. a three-year-old you know I'm, I'm learning that right now and I remember when he was, you know, six months old, right, and now he's three. So it's like unique to see that and happen so quick. Um, as a coach, when it comes to football, I, I do agree with Bruce Arians when it comes to the game. The game ain't that hard. For example, you can spend 15, 16 hours watching a particular opponent, right, or watching practice film, right, and watch every single player, take all these notes. However, you could do that in two hours and kind of get the same optimal, get the same results. It's just more optimal. Um, one thing I learned just working in the corporate world, working in tech, is that we focus on time boxing our our, um, our projects. And what time boxing means is you should kind of put a limit, you put a cap on it. So, for example, I'm working on a project, and when I meet with like um, meet with my superiors, we'll kind of chat about, okay, like how much time are we spend on this. We could spend 20 hours this week on it, or or five in between, right? So we'll find like a mid, we'll midpoint. It might spend 10, but the point behind it is you could always spend more time on something. You could always try to redefine it, right? You could always try to, like, spend as much time as possible, but you might get to a point where you're getting diminishing returns because you're not getting better. You kind of reached your peak, right? So I think it's crucial as coaches to kind of be wise with your time and find ways to kind of cut it off because what can happen is you could spend so much time watching film, so much time creating practice plans, and you're kind of, like, losing yourself in a game, and it's kind of like, okay, what am I – what am I running away from? What am I? What am I trying to cover up? Right. So I think as a coach, it's very important to spend time with your family, spend time with your players, build those relationships with people, and not be so fixated and so focused on just like riding on film. Always important to grind on film. I love watching film, but at the same time, it's like not spending all your time doing that and having all this knowledge, but not being able to share. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think
2: I think I definitely come with a interesting perspective, just because I did get out of coaching, and it's, I mean, a big reason for it was, you know, not so much, I mean, I i didn't mind the time commitment, it was just more of, you know, differences maybe that I had of expectations and, um, you know, things like that, and I won't get too much into that part of it, um, but I think it's something where as, and and it's really, that's in any job. And I think that's, I think coaches get a bad rap for it just because of how much of a right. commitment it is. But I think you see it across, you know, whatever corporate job anybody's in, whatever. I, there's people that get the label workaholic, which isn't necessarily always a bad thing. But there's some people that just, you know, can't ever put it down. And so I think whenever you go into anything, and in this instance, we're talking about coaching, I think it's just important for you to be honest with yourself and then understand, you know, what your priorities are. And the thing about it is there's some coaches that get a bad rap for, you know, wanting to be in the office a bunch or whatever. But like, some for some coaches, that's okay, right? There's some coaches that are young and single and don't have a family or old and single and don't have a family and it's like this is truly what Mm
3: -hmm. you know
2: they enjoy that extra time of you know watching extra film getting you know getting to learn more but then there's some coaches that just like i just don't i want to stay in the office because the last thing i want to do is go home and see my family oh yeah you know there's and i think that has kind of become a cycle of, well, it started with, well, one coach is going to stay longer because he's trying to get an edge. Well, then the other coach feels like he has to stay longer because the other coach is staying longer. And so I think really what it comes down to is just the head coach and the person in charge, you know, making everybody understand, you know, here's our, our set time that we have. This is, you know, this is when we're going to get stuff done. If, you would like to stay you know it it, after that go home you know if you if you stay here after great good for you but that's not the expectation you know you we here are our expected hours of what you're going to do everything else is just you individually you're not you know if you make our team better great that's your opinion but at the same time you know everyone else has their different things that help You know, kind of, we talked about it in the quarterback episode when we talked about those guys. You know, Kirk Cousins taking a full day off for his family. Right. What's going to recharge your battery? Some people, it is going home and spending time with their family. Some people, it's just going home. You're still watching football, but you're educating yourself in that way rather than sitting there watching the same film, trying to study the same team over and over. You're watching different teams and getting kind of different perspectives. And so, for me, it's just how can. How best can you manage and spend your time? And if that's staying at the facility, great. If that's going home and spending time with your family, great. But I just think it's really on the head coach to kind of set that example. And, you know, obviously as a head coach, you want to be the first guy in, the last guy to leave. But I think, you know, just like Bruce Aarons, he's, I think he sets that example. And like Dan said, he's obviously backing it up. And I remember when I got recruited to Oklahoma State with Coach Gundy, he said the same exact thing. And I remember, you know, kind of as a player, you hear that, and you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. I know how it's going to be when I get here. But he was that way. I mean, he'd be shooing guys out all the time, like, hey, you know, get to whatever. And it was a family atmosphere, too. Like, even when the coaches were busy, you noticed their kids were always around, their you know, their wives were always around. And I think right. that's another thing, too, is like promote that family-friendly environment that guys don't feel uncomfortable if they want to have, you know, their family around or whatever. So I think that's kind of the beauty of, just to kind of tie that all back together, the beauty of the situation I'm in right now. You know, we're talking about diving into fall camp. I think, you know, every coach has, once you get into fall camp, you're solely focused on your team. How can I help us be successful? And so I think that's kind of cool about, one, what I get to do now, and, two, what we're doing with this podcast is – I I get to now sit around and watch what all the teams in NFL training camp are doing, what all the colleges are doing, you know, throughout the season. I'm going to go bounce around watch a bunch of high school teams during the year. And then I can take and compile all that information and give it to coaches who are, you know, don't have the time to really, you know, expand until the off season. Now on a Monday morning, when you're driving to the office, we can, you know, we can give you a couple new play ideas. We can say, "Hey, this is what you know." So and so is doing out in L.A. or on the East Coast or whatever. And so I think that's kind of the beauty of the game of football is there's so much to it, but at the same time, it's being done over so many different levels. And a, a high school a high school guy can take something from a pro coach, and a pro coach can take the same thing from a high school guy.
0: Without a doubt, without a doubt. No, I think that's I think that's right on. And I, it was interesting this is a a topic of conversation that means a lot to me. I have two toddlers at home. Uh, I, I, you know, married to an awesome uh, person who is uh, such a support to me in my coaching career. But also, you know, if you've ever read any of the books I've written, she's been kind of the chief designer on all that. So she's very locked in on everything that I'm doing. And it's been a huge blessing for me. And in, in Over the course of the past few years as a coach, one of the things that I've kind of gleaned from some of my coaching heroes, even though I've never met these people, is, like, for example, Steve Spurrier. Uh, he would make his coaches go home. He would make his coaches work out. Um, and one of the things that he said is, you know, I, I can't have tired coaches on game day. I can't see you dragging in here on a Saturday to coach an SEC game you know, we have to bring our best energy for our players. And that was really kind of fascinating to me. And so, you know, in my own kind of personal journey with coaching and how it fits in with family, one of the things, like one of my kind of core beliefs on this is I don't really so much believe in time management as much as I believe in energy management. And I know that kind of sounds, you know, uh, woo-woo or whatever, but if if you've ever written anything, uh, if you've ever you know, written a paper in college or anything like that, I'm sure you know the experience of staring at that blank page and watching that cursor blink in front of you. And I've had days where I've sat down in front of my computer, especially when I was working on these ultimate guidebooks, where I'm staring at a blank screen for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and I just can't think of anything that makes sense to write. And there's other days I totally hit a flow state, and I can crank out, you know, 8 to 10 pages in a day. And so it's it's one of those things as a as a coach where you have to recognize what are those moments where you're staring at the you're staring at the game tape, but there's nothing going on in your head. Yeah, you're there. Yeah, you're physically you're physically watching film, but are you getting anything out of that experience or are you managing your energy in a way that you're showing up with insight and with focus? So that you're optimizing the amount of time that you're the the amount of time you have to watch film is optimized as opposed to just putting in the hours. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's a really important point. I think, you know, there's a lot of different conversations we could have around this. One of the things that I'm really focusing on myself this season is is taking care of myself physically, because almost every single season I've coached, I feel like I get really sick halfway through the year because I'm stressed and I'm not sleeping and I'm not working out. And I just get crushed by, you know, the flu or something every single year. And I think I'm trying to make that a priority in my own life and manage my energy so that by the end of the season, I am the best version of me. And I am showing up in the way that I need to for my, for my players and for the guys I coach with. And so I, I just think it's really important. I think, I think, to Jake's point, you need to find ways to recharge your batteries, and Kirk Cousins was catching all sorts of strays for for taking a day sure off. Sure was. <laughs> but listen, like, how could you possibly argue with that guy's level of commitment? Like, I mean, I, I don't think you could walk away from the documentary quarterback and be like, yeah, Kirk doesn't really care that much about football or the Vikings. Um, whether or not he may have certain limitations is, is a different conversation, but... I don't think him taking a Tuesday off is the reason they lost in the divisional round or something like that. I think that's, it's ridiculous. And so I think, uh, I think happy, well-rested coaches are typically the ones that guys want to play, play for over the course of a season. Um, And I'll never forget when Jeff trailer came through town, he's the head coach at UTSA. And, you know, he said, look at our, look at our record in November. We're pretty good in November, uh, because we're well-rested and we're happy. And I think that says a lot, and I think it you know, speaks to the program he's building and why not many people want to leave UTSA right now. Uh, so kudos to Coach, Coach Jeff Trailer and, and what he's doing there. So happy and healthy and, uh, and rested, I think, is, is important in all of this. Awesome. Well, coaches, we are on with a very special guest, Coach Jason Mons. He was previously the head football coach at Saguaro High School in Phoenix or Scottsdale, Arizona, I guess. Uh, and he is now the tight ends coach at Arizona State University. He is a friend of the program, friend, a personal friend to a lot of us here, and uh, we can't uh, thank him enough for jumping on with us right before camp starts. Coach Mons, welcome.
3: Yeah, guys, thanks a lot for having me on. I
0: appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Well, we're we're fired up for you on so many levels. I mean, we met several years ago at some coaching clinics and have stayed in touch ever since, and it's been really cool to watch your journey, to see the excellence with which you coached high school football, and now to see you have an opportunity to coach uh, collegiately is is pretty cool, and not to mention you know, the hometown team right in your backyard uh, with the Sun Devils. That that must be a pretty cool uh, experience to make that jump right in your backyard.
3: No, it's uh, you know, without doubt, I, I, you know, I had a special thing going at Saguaro, and and uh, you know, I think people assumed for a long time that I was I was gonna leave, and and it was only a matter of time. And I tell people for years and years, I'm like, it's gonna take something really special for me to to leave this place. And you know, I had opportunities. I had I had some actually really cool opportunities that presented themselves along the way. And you know, my wife and I would sit down and talk through it and go, man, I just don't think it's right. We we talked at We we kind of called Saguaro our sweet spot. You know, I I, I it's like a you know when you hit a baseball and you, and you hit it right in the middle of the barrel, you know, I, I felt like that's where we were for a long time. Um, but I just felt like if something came along, I would know it. And uh, when, when Coach Dillingham got the job at Arizona State, um, somebody that I've known for a long time that I've had a lot of respect for, and then his staff started coming together, I was like, man, this is the one. I just, it just felt right. And to be able, you know, for me to make the jump um, from a career standpoint, something that I, I kind of felt like I was ready for the next challenge, um, but I always prioritized my family first, um, you know, and, and, and I, didn't want to, I didn't want to make a move that was right for me and my career, but wasn't right for my family, and, uh, you know, I've got my mom, my sister, my nieces here, uh, my, my mother and father-in-law, and, and my sister's brother, like, our family's all here, and so for my kids being four and seven, you know, for me to take them away um, from my family would have been a tough decision, so to be able to make the move in advance of my career, um, but not have to do it at the expense of my family was just something that was, it was meant to be. And, and, uh, I'm thankful. I, 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 literally get into the office every day. Um, thankful to be in the position I'm in and, and excited about the the new challenge that I have ahead of me. No doubt.
2: I love that.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, Jason, good to see you. It's been a minute. Um, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I was uh, at Saguaro back in 2019, and I was definitely Jason's favorite defensive analyst, aka the only one, <laughs> <laughs> by far. We always had, a, always had, you know, I learned a lot, even though I was on the defensive side, I learned, I was on the, I was on the dark side, now I'm on the good side, right? But uh, I learned a lot just watching um, you prepare on Saturdays. when we, We'll have our defensive meetings, right? We'll watch boom and we'll, like, kind of get ready for the nice opponent. Now, I'll kind of peek into the – peeking, like, off, to the, off behind, looking at Jason's office to see him kind of, like, write down some plays and kind of do some game planning. In the year I was there, you know, we had some top recruits, right? We had Keely Ringo. We had Jacoby Covington. We had some five-stars and four-stars that were just, like, studs. So my question is, when I walked into, like, that, that program at Saguaro – and seeing at high level it was, how was it built, and how was it sustained over, over the time that you were there?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, Rashad, you're probably the most overqualified high school analyst of all time. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, were, we were lucky to have you, and, and uh, you know, wish, wish we would maybe would utilize you better than we did, but, uh, you know, I, I was, we were lucky to have, you know, obviously Jim Camarillo, who you worked with, was, was the D coordinator there, and a really good high school defensive coordinator, really good defense coordinator in, in, in general, and I was, in, I was lucky to be in a position where um, you know, I, I got to be the head coach of the program, call the offense, oversee the day-to-day, but I really let Jim be the head coach of the defense and kind of do his thing. And, and um, he, he was someone that I, I trusted, and, and he did a good job. He put the time in. But, you know, we talk about what we were able to build Saguaro into. Um, you know, I didn't take over a downtrodden program when I got the, the head job in, in 2012. You know, they had had some success at the 4A level, um, you know, had won you know, multiple state championships at that level. And, and when I took the job, I looked at it as like, okay, I, I don't want to try to maintain where we're at. I want to try to take it to the next level. And I, I want to go from instead of being the best team in four in Arizona, I wanted to be the best team in Arizona. And I wanted to, you know, I told people I wanted to make it a, a, a national top 25 program and, and try to be somebody that was competing to be in that, you know, mentioning that, you know, in that caliber of a program year in and year out. And so, you know, the way we did it was by bringing in good people. Um, I think, People ask me all the time, "What was your philosophy?" And I, I don't, you know, never wrote down a, a catchy philosophy or you know, um, slogan or phrase. I just always said it was about relationships. And I think I built everything at Saguaro on building genuine relationships um, with the people that we had there, you know, relationships across the coaching staff and, and taking guys on on annual trips every year and going out and doing professional development, spend time together, um, guys that genuinely like to coach for the right reasons that that they weren't doing it, um, you know, to, to try to. You know, climb 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 the ladder, so to say, and, I, and it's not that I didn't want guys that, that had aspirations to to go from position coach to coordinator, coordinator, head coach, but really I just wanted guys that that loved coaching, loved being around young men. You know, understood that the game of football is a tool um, to teach uh, invaluable life lessons, and you know, for a lot of kids, like myself included, you know, that's where you know my parents divorced when I was young and, uh, and I didn't have a, a father figure kind of in my life. And so it was always my coaches that, that I, I learned from. And, and that was like the male role models of my life. And I, and I felt like that's why I was drawn to that, cause that because that's what I needed when I was a kid. So I think that's where we started is we just we just did it the right way. We brought in good people that wanted to be there for the right reasons. And they were all competitors. And I think, you know, anybody that knows me and, and uh, knows how I'm wired, I, I, I love to compete. I hate to freaking lose. I love to win. Uh, but I understand that it's more than just about wins and losses. And, and I tried to surround myself with people that were kind of wired the same way, that, that love to compete, hated to lose, wanted to win in everything they did. But more so than that, love um, – love being around people love building relationships you know love helping young men achieve their dreams and maybe get them out of situations where there wasn't a lot of um you know hope for their future and and then they left you know different people and so um, i think that's it we just we just got a lot of really like-minded people together and we worked our tails off, you, you, know, you saw it firsthand. You know, um, a lot of people thought Saguaro, they, they get the misconception because it's in Scottsdale and anybody knows anything about Scottsdale? It's yeah. kind of like the you know, the Beverly Hills of Arizona. <laughs> right. it, you know, people go, oh, you got all this money and it's a privilege and it's not, but it's, but is really not that. Most of our kids come from outside of Scottsdale and um, a lot of kids come, you know, they, they, see, they, see, uh, they saw Saguaro's program as an opportunity to kind of get out and make something um, you know, with their lives. And so we really prided ourselves on being a blue collar program um working for everything that we got and and never being uh, afraid to test ourselves scheduling games where we knew that there was a high likelihood that we would get beat uh we never backed down from that and that's where that's where we were able to build it and get it to where we got because because we kind of took those challenges head on
1: oh yeah i still it's still it still burns me coach uh the first open championship and um we lost to chandler like it still burns me but you know i was telling the guys before we started uh two years later when um when you guys beat chandler um two years later in championship i was like uh i was like you yeah, owe me a ring because i was helping out westy westy is the <laughs> defensive backs coach at uh at saguaro and look him up we all get a chance uh brian westbrook legendary um, legendary te- <laughs> texas all-american cornerback like great guy funny guy great guy to be around awesome guy loves the kids coach a lot of d1 guys um and i was helping him like helping him game plan a little bit the week before and i was like hey man when we win i need a ring so i definitely need to <laughs> definitely, need to get, definitely need to get my get my ring get a couple up. later we'll get we'll
3: get with cheese. We'll get with cheese our jostle guy and get order for you.
0: <laughs> i love it well mons one of the things that uh that kind of stands out to me is you know in meeting you several years ago I was kind of blown away by just the way you teach the game. I've been really fortunate over the past you know, five or six years to meet a lot of coaches, sit down with a lot of coaches and talk offensive football. And you were one of those high school coaches, but I mean, we could say high school coach, but like coaches in general, that really stood out to me as somebody who has a set of core beliefs and a teaching style that you have a lot of conviction in. And you just designed a really really sound offense at Saguaro I got a chance to watch a lot of film of you guys obviously just being friends And but really the, the best thing for me was that I got to sit in a room and, and listen to you teach and you're an incredible teacher uh, so I, I can't say enough about you in that regard but I, I do want to ask you how this transition has been from being a head football coach offensive play caller having kind of complete control over an offensive system to now being a part of a system with kenny dillingham the head coach and Bo baldwin the offensive coordinator what has that transition been like for you to uh maybe be in a little bit of a different seat but still be contributing to the overall success of an offense
3: yeah no i mean it's a phenomenal question and, and thank you for for the compliment i mean yeah, obviously absolutely. we've gotten to, we've gotten to build a good friendship and uh you know enjoy enjoyed uh the last time i was out in houston hanging out and i've and, uh, been awesome. there a couple times yeah. but uh you know, I think for me, um, that's something I pride myself in is, you know, it's 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 not what you know. It's not what you've done. It's, it's it's about what you can teach and when you can you can translate and break down. And I think that's something that I've, you know, even a building, you know, the, the 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 offensive system that I ran for so long at Saguaro is all I did was I, I, I you know, I've always been a student of the game. I love to learn. I'm, I'm, I still pride myself in being a student of the game. And I, I just went and spent time with as many people as I could try to learn as much as I could and the stuff that made sense to me that I felt like I could master and I could teach and make it make sense to my players. That's the stuff that I stuck with and the stuff that I was like, man, I think it's really good, but I just don't, I don't quite understand. I don't feel like I could coach it. I don't feel like I can troubleshoot it. I stayed away from that stuff. And so I just, I just found the stuff that that I believed in that made sense to me that I could, I could kind of regurgitate back to somebody else. And and that's what I stuck with, you know, now making that jump, um, you know, being at the college level, I'll be honest with you. And I told my wife this several years years ago, I, I felt like, I felt like I had a ton of room for growth as a coach. I felt like, you know, everything that that where I had gotten was as far as I could kind of take myself. And and I felt like I wanted to be around guys at a higher level that have been doing it at a higher level that have been doing it with success and learn from those guys and it's it's like it's a hard thing to say because you get to the you know you get to the level that i'm at and nobody wants to hire a guy that just wants to be there to learn you know they want to hire guys and come in and make them better and and can coach and and so it's like walking a fine line saying that but you know i i took my staff last spring uh to oregon and we spent we spent six days um with the staff at at oregon and with and with coach dillingham and and with coach landing and that staff to learn and get better you know i wanted to be around those guys and, and i've known kenny for a long time i've had a ton of respect for him and uh, you know we've done something like that every year. Um, Coach Baldwin, you know, he's he's one of the most underrated offensive minds in the country, in my opinion. You know, he, he obviously uh, had made a, a big name for himself at Eastern Washington uh, with what he had done offensively, making them a, a, a oh, yeah. you know uh, an FCS national champion back to back, and and uh, had a ton of success. And, and uh, you know I know I've known people that have known Coach Baldwin, uh, people that I that I respect and trust that say he's as good of a coach and as good as a dude as there is. And, and I've seen that firsthand. So, I you know, not only did I hit the jackpot, be able to make this jump, um, you know, in my backyard, but to be with two offensive minds, like, like Kenny Dillingham and Bo Baldwin, and to be able as an off- offensive coach, to, to be able to work alongside those guys and bounce ideas off of them. And there's zero ego guys, you know, but, we had one of our first big, full offensive staff meetings. Um, we were just going through um, some different elements, and, and Coach Bob was like, hey, I want to, uh, let's see screen game, you know, stuff that you guys have done. And, uh, you know, we got Rashad Samples as our wide receivers coach, pass game coordinator. Well, he was with the Rams last year. He was running backs coach with the Rams, you know, young cat that's been all over the place. And so, Sam is showing, you know, Rams clips. And, and then, you know, Sanga Tuatele, our O-line coach, was at Fresno State, and, and he's showing Fresno oh, yeah. clips. And, and, you know, and then here comes Mons with Savaro High School cut up. And, and uh you know you it's like it off a huddle i pulled her straight off a huddle you better believe i logged into huddle in the staff room and uh and uh but you know what was cool about that was um every every one of the coaches in there um a bunch of guys that have had a lot of success at this level were asking questions we're taking notes we're like it wasn't like oh you're a high not? school dude so like what you have to say doesn't matter and, and that you know i respect that and i appreciate that and that's why it's been such a good transition for me because um you know guys have they, they haven't you know yeah, I'm there to work, and yeah, I'm there. I, I know that, that it's you know I'm not the I'm not the head honcho anymore, and, and I have to pick my spots and, and do all that. But I'm with a bunch of guys that respect me and and value the success that I've had at my level, and I've never felt like I'm the high school guy there in the room. Um, they don't they don't treat me that way, and, and uh, it's been it's been awesome for me, and I'm appreciative of that um, to be with a group of guys like that.
2: So with the uh, with the current landscape, I mean, obviously recruiting's always been super important, but. Um... You know, coming from the high school side of it, do you feel like, you know, recruiting in the area is kind of an advantage for you just because, you know, you obviously probably know a lot of the high school coaches in the area well, you know, you're able to kind of get into the kids, kind of speak the same language with them a little bit, you kind of take that as an advantage, you know, in the recruiting
3: area. Absolutely. You know, that was one of the things that I was the most excited about to get a chance to get to this level. Um, and, and, and really not just in state, obviously the, the, the benefit mm-hmm. in state is, is, you know, having built relationships for a long time, um, fought a lot of the same battles that a lot of these guys fight. And, and, uh, you know, I think there's always, you're always a little like worried, a hey, sowaro's had a lot of success for a long time, you know, and, and guys might feel a certain type of way about that. Sure. And then all of a sudden you're trying to recruit their program. And, and, uh, but I will say, you know, I, I, I tried to get involved. I was, I was, uh, you know, on the board of directors with our uh, Arizona Football Coaches Association, and I, I really felt like the last four or five years um, that I was in the state of Arizona, I, I really tried to. Um, and not not be, not for for you know ulterior motives or anything, I, I, but I really tried to to um, be more involved in helping grow the game in the state of Arizona, and, I, and I've I've got some great rela- relationships within the state. Um, you know, I think guys that that took the, t- the time to get to know me and and uh, and not just write us off because you know you know Rashad, you know how it is in Arizona, it's open enrollment, so. That's right. It's you know Arizona's a weird dynamic because everybody's competing for the same same kids coming out of middle school. You know, kids kids in Arizona go on unofficial visits like they're like they college recruits. And they go they go they go check out the top four or five schools and then they you know they announce on Twitter which high school they're going to. You know, it's like it's crazy. And so because of that dynamic, it it makes it tough. You know, that there's a lot of guys that feel like they're competing with each other all the time. Um, and I think, you know, starting with like Coach Camarillo and, and doing the you know the MFCN um, group that he did is, and COVID, I really felt like brought the state of Arizona close together because we started doing a lot of online clinics and getting together and, and talking about some of the issues that we were facing, you know, with our state association and with the game. And um, so it's been really good. But then I think on a national scale, you know, Saguaro high school, we, we've been blessed to have some big time national recruits. And, and, you know, I think at one point we had, we had four guys in the NFL. I think we've got three right now. Actually, we've got four right now because Kyle Soli's on with the Cardinals, um, but. You know, our kids were recruited by every, by every program in the country. You know, I sat, I went to Alabama with, with, you know, you mentioned Jacoby Covington and Keely Ringo and Damian Sellers, and I sat one-on-one across from Nick Saban in his office and heard his recruiting pitch. You know what? We, we had Dabo Sweeney in our office. I mean, we've had, we, we've had every major college head coach in the country has come through Saguaro High School, because of the, not, not because of me, but because of the players that we've had there. And so I was able to sit back and, and watch and listen to how these guys recruit. And then be able to, when they leave, talk to my guys and my elite five-star, four-star kids, and go, "What did you think of that? What did you think mm, of this guy?" Yeah. And then you really hear, you really hear what sticks. And and you know, I tell people all the time, it's not there's not one thing that you go, "Okay, everybody does this." It's it's I, to me, it's the guys that are the most genuine, that are the most comfortable in their own skin. That that talk to kids that 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 can listen to them and get to know them and build and build genuine relationships. The same thing that I think we had success with at Saguaro is I think what works in recruiting. You know, obviously there's some other factors in play now with uh, with NIL and things like that. That you know, you, sometimes you just have to go, hey, we can't compete with that. You know, wish you the best. But at the end of the day, I think um, Coach Dillingham put a staff together, people that understand the dynamics, that are that are good relationship people that that know how to connect with people and talk to people and. Um, so I'm excited about that aspect of it because I feel like I've got a, a, a master's, maybe, you know, approaching a doctorate in, in recruiting because I've, I've been on the other side of it for the last 16 years, watching the best of the best do it.
2: Yeah, I think I think y'all are going to be pretty dangerous on the recruiting trail. You mentioned Rashad Samples. Me and him were teammates at Oklahoma State back there he in the day. He's, he kind of, you know, made a name for himself pretty early on. Um, you know, being a recruiter, obviously he's a great football coach, but I think, you know, you look at like the top, recruiters in the country he's been he's been I mean obviously not last year with the Rams but since he's been in college he's made a pretty big name for himself recruiting I know he was a hot commodity this year coming back into the college game so I think I think y'all are going to kind of be able to attack it from all angles and
3: um, I don't know
2: it's Sun yeah. Devils are going to be going to be dangerous on the recruiting trail.
3: Yeah, we're excited about it. No, you you nailed it. I mean, and here's the thing with Sam. You know, he, he gets kind of this reputation that he's a recruiter. But man, that dude, mm-hmm. if you if you ever get a chance to talk ball with him, that dude knows ball at a high level. And he's dude, yeah. he's been Got a pretty, some got a pretty good dad
2: that he learned from. Yeah,
3: no doubt. And the kid grew up grew up on the field, and and uh, obviously his dad's a legend there in, in Texas. Mm-hmm. And and uh, but man, that, that's the thing I'm most impressed with. You know, you get it. You get sometimes guys get a reputation of oh, this is, this young young dude that's a recruiter. Like, no, this yep. dude's a ball coach. He's really mm-hmm. good. good and uh, He's only scratching the surface. That's what's scary because sure. he's young. You know, he's got he's, t- he's still got a long way to go. So he's obviously got a bright future. And then um, you probably know Brian Carrington too, oh, yeah. who, who came Houston over the Texas guy, <laughs> Houston guy, and and uh, NBC's a stud. Um, you know, you talk about talk about dudes that that can connect with people and, and build relationships with kids. And um, you know, there's going to be a huge Texas to, to to Arizona State pipeline because of those two. And and uh, we got a bunch of guys like that on our staff. But those, those two guys are definitely two of the elite guys in the country. Um, you know, recruiting and, and coaching ball.
0: Yeah, well, we love when you guys get to come on down to Houston, hang out. Uh, I know you got to, I know you got to do your time in Dallas too. But uh, anytime you're in Houston, you got to you got a home for sure. But you, you know, know I, you
3: know, I like H-town, Dan. I, I try to find an excuse to get there whenever hey, I can. It's,
0: it's a great spot, man. We love it here. Uh, but but hey, I wanted to. We obviously don't want to take too much of your time. We really appreciate you jumping on with us before training camp. One of the things that i wanted to hit on real quick and this is something we when we sat down when you were in houston got a chance to pick your brain about this a little bit and so just for all of our listeners especially here got a lot of texas high school football coaches listening in what what is so special about kenny dillingham he's a young guy and it seems like every coach on his staff has a ton of confidence in him what is his it factor that gives you so much confidence in in such a young guy
3: Man, well, you know, the youngest head coach in FBS football, uh, you know, just turned thirty-three years old. I think for 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 everybody if you talk to people, it's just how authentic he is. You know, he 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 knows who he is. He doesn't try to be anybody different. He's he's um, his humility, um, his sense of humor, and willingness to to laugh at himself. You know, I've been ar- around a lot of head coaches, and sometimes they almost seem like they're you know, like these mythical figures that, that aren't real people because the how they carry themselves and they're intimidating. And like, Kenny's the opposite of that. Uh, he's, he's the most down-to-earth, humble, relatable, approachable dude there is. And um, I think I knew him I knew him from, as an offensive play caller. And if you spend any time talking ball with him, you leave and go, dude, that dude is sharp. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's really yeah. sharp. Um, having a chance, I, I remember I left my first staff meeting and I got to listen to him talk talk scheme offense and defense i got to listen to him talk recruiting and roster management uh player personnel marketing um you know you name it and it was like this dude is you know i don't know if he's ever had an iq test but i would imagine it's really really high um he's the dude the dude is the dude is sharp i mean he's he's super oppressive and i'm not people that know me like I'm not that guy that like just like strokes guys, um, you know. I just, i not that I'm like a naysayer, or a hater. I'm not that guy either. But like it, I, I'm I kind of like reserve my opinion. And it didn't for take sure. me long yeah. to, to, coach. I knew Kenny was a great offensive mind. This dude is a hell of a head ball coach, and he's gonna he's gonna be successful for a long time because he's he's got it, and he has got contagious energy. Um, he's always thinking ahead. He's 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 three three to four steps ahead all the time. Um, and I think that the biggest thing with him is, and if you look at any interviews um, that, that guys have done with our players and when they ask about Kenny, they all say the same thing. They love him. Um, he goes down and spends time with them. He, he gets to know them as people. He respects them. He builds trust and relationships with them, and he holds them accountable, and he sets a standard, and he maintains that standard. And so, um, you know, genuinely, genuinely impressed, um, you know, with him. And, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, as much as I enjoy being a head coach and being a play caller and all that, like, I can I can I can work for a guy like that and I can be a role player for a dude like that because because you know I, I want to be associated with somebody that, that coaches ball and, and runs a program at that level.
0: No doubt, man. No doubt. Well we are we're fired up for you, man. We you know, we go way back and I remember uh, just watching your journey, watching the way that you coached your high school team with excellence, watching the way you taught other coaches with excellence, and now watching you at the Power Five level, coaching with excellence. I'm. I have no doubt that that big things are ahead for you, and obviously we'll be cheering and in your corner all season. And we'll definitely have to catch up some more after the season and see how year one was, man. But we're, we'll be rooting for the Sun Devils, that's for sure.
3: Love it, yeah. Forks up, man. Appreciate you guys having me on, and you know I know you got a lot of you got a lot of high school coaches or listeners. You know I I would just say this. You know I started off coaching freshman football in 2007 and uh, without any aspirations of getting to this level. And all I did was just try to become the best teacher and coach that I could be. And, And just doing that and focusing on where I was at allowed me to go from being a freshman coach to being a position coach and then being a coordinator and then being a head coach. And when I got the head coaching job, I wasn't looking for college jobs. I just wanted to be the best damn, you know, head coach I could be. And and uh, so for those guys that are listening, that are just getting started, man, just just be the best you can be where you're at. And I promise you good things will happen. And, and if it's at the college level, great. If it's just having a hell of a high school career, whether you're an assistant or a head coach or whatever it may be, I think that's – that's the path I chose and it's been really rewarding it's it's allowed me to have a great family life and, and make you know friendships my best friends are guys that were on my staff with me at Swar High School so you know I'm blessed to be where I'm at but don't don't feel like you got to get to the college level to feel like you made it or anything like that I mean yeah. I, I was yeah. happy I was at a point I know Dan we talked about this if I was at SWAR for 30 years I would have been happy um, no because because yeah. I felt like it was a great a great spot so uh, but no I, I appreciate you guys having me on and appreciate all the support and um, I'm gonna continue to, to follow you. I Actually, sent a clip from uh, from you today, Dan, to our to our uh, to Love our it. OC. So you know, I'm, you know, I'm following what you're doing. <laughs> Let it rip, baby. Let it rip. We'll be rooting yes, for sir. you guys. Appreciate it. victory.